Welcome to a new episode of Failure Bites. I'm Kristen Brennison, bringing you bite-sized stories of failure, growth, and success. Nothing makes a story more interesting than a good plot twist, some unexpected turn of events that takes the narrative in a completely different direction. I love it when I'm surprised by a sudden change. Unless, of course, the story is my own and the plot twist is an event that knocks me off my carefully planned path. In this episode, we talk to award-winning author John Scalzi, known for many sci-fi favorites such as the Old Man's War series, Lock-In, Red Shirts, and many more too numerous to list. I caught up with him at C2E2, and we talked about his own plot twist. So we're here at C2E2, and I'm sitting here with John Scalzi, who I'm very, very excited to be with. So thank you for taking time out of it. I know it was a very busy schedule. Oh, sure. No, happy to do it. Um, so on this podcast, we talk a lot about failure, success, sure. and how failure is a key part of success. Right. So I would say you are a very successful author. I mean, <laughs> you I, like to, I like you to think it. so. Yes. You know, it's like, <laughs> is, is it, you know, what is your metric? Your metric is, it's like, I have a house. I <laughs> I was able to send my kid to college. You know, I'm not, you know, the cats aren't looking at me like, you know, how do we part him out for food? <laughs> exactly. By he these, looks delicious. <laughs> the, I mean, I do, but, you know, uh, but in all those sorts of, so, but yes, yeah, so by all those metrics, I'm, I'm actually pretty successful. So through these, these years of success and growth, and mm-hmm. what's your favorite failure story? If you had a time that had been like... My favorite failure story actually predates uh, when I was known as a novelist. Uh, Before I was a novelist, I was still a writer. I've been a professional writer for my entire adult life, um, starting in 1991. But uh, I was working in 1998 at America Online, which at the time was the largest tech company uh, in, in the United States, at least in terms of subscribers and everything else like that. And the way that I discuss it to people is that we were the, you know, the Google or Facebook of the mid-90s. And I was their in-house writer and editor. I was literally the guy, right? Yep. And prior to that, I had worked at a newspaper where I was a, uh, the, young, the, the nation's youngest nationally syndicated film critic at 22. And then I became a syndicated opinion columnist at 24, uh, which was a tremendously bad, bad idea, but I'm glad they let me do it. <laughs> but the whole point was I had nothing but this upward path. Mm-hmm. And I had spent so much time going, yes, I am cool. Yes, I am a golden boy. I am boy. amazing. I am a prodigy. I am a golden boy. Um, but a lot of that was because of what other people were letting me do, right? Where mm-hmm. I was let to be, you know, someone let me be a film critic. Someone let me write an opinion column. Someone put me in charge of all the writing and editing for America Online. Uh, and that was all really cool. Um, but it also meant that all the things that I was doing, all the validation I was doing for my, my job and my career and my life and stuff like that was external, that people let me do those sort of stuff. And that was just great until the day in 1998 where I was laid off. What had happened was my department, my department was um, dissolved. And everybody else in the department went to somebody else's department. But because I was the only in-house writer and editor. I was a company-wide resource. Everybody used me. And nobody wants to put a company-wide resource on their department's, you know, Mm -hmm. budget. 
because what, why would you do that? Why share? <laughs> so they were like, nobody, nobody wanted to do that. So I was laid off because nobody wanted to, you know, internally hire me. And all my thoughts about who I was and, you know, all the validation that I had, all that external, you know, you are doing this stuff, you are great, all this stuff, just went away. It just collapsed. And I went through what I, I'm absolutely sure was uh, an, an actual sort of kind of clinical depression for like two or three weeks because, I mean, it really felt like the rug was pulled out from under me. Everything that I valued about myself as a professional writer had just been taken away. And it was really, really difficult. It was the first time in my life. I was 28 at the time. It was the first time in my life that I ever had to deal with something like that. Um, and so basically what I had to do is over the course of those few days, or not few days, but those few weeks, is basically re really examine what was it about that validation system that worked for me. And I had to change the way that I approached my life as a writer, where it wasn't about getting the validation from the job or from uh, what people told me to do, but to change it so that it was internal, where that the marks of success were not, um, does my boss think I'm doing a good job, or do my readers think I'm doing a good job? But here are things that I want to do as a writer. Am I achieving them? And over the this is the thing. It was, the, it was literally the worst thing that had happened to me at the time. And on one hand, it's great that the worst thing that happened to you is that you've been laid off. You right. Know. But at the same time, it was still quite a lot to deal with. But over the course of time, I have recognized that it actually is one of the best things that ever happened to me because it changed the way that I approach my writing life and made it so um, that I could um, approach opportunities and approach um, you know, new jobs, not as someone like, please validate me, but I'm good at what I do and let me do these things that I'm good at for you. And that is sort of how I sort of recovered and started doing freelance work, uh, which I did very successfully for a number of years before I started writing the novels. And then the novels took off and that's uh, what I've been doing ever since. And it's hard. It was really hard. And it's hard to tell people when they're in the throes of being laid off or being, you know, having that sort of questioning of your core competencies, um, that in fact you can come out of that, sort of reconfigure yourself and be better at your job and at your approaches to life and the way that you see the world. Um, but it can and it does happen and I do think, like I said, I am much better for it, um, even though at the time it was literally the worst thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. Do you think you would have gone down the, the fiction path and been writing the kind of work you're doing now if that wouldn't have happened? It's really interesting to me because so much happened that branches off from that particular one point. I do think that my life would be very different because I would, if I was still working, if I had still been working at America Online after that point, would I have continued to work there and for how long? I mean, obviously everybody eventually got laid off from America <laughs> Online, but, and then would I have decided to start writing more fiction? would I have made those particular paths? And my feeling is, is that I would have been perfectly happy to continue doing what I was doing, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't think I would have been a writer, um, or at least 
if I had become a writer of novels that I would have come into it much later, I wouldn't have started with the same books and the old man's war wouldn't have hit when it hit. Mm -hmm. And who knows uh, how life would have been. It's really funny to think about those particular inflection points because that is a definite inflection point. Mm -hmm. There are other inflection points in the course of my life where I went to high school, where I went to college, uh, the day I met m the woman who had become my wife. All of these inflection points. And if I had gone to Bennington instead of the University of Chicago, or if I had not done that story that took me to that place where I met the woman who became my wife, you know, what would my life be mm -hmm. like from there? And so, no, I don't think I would have the same career, and I don't think I would have the same life if I hadn't had that magnificent failure, right? <laughs> yeah. So you take those spectacular failures that are really life-changing. Right. And usually in a good way, once you have time once you to have reflect. Time. And right. You know, the thing is, is that we like to think about life as, you know, it's like this thing happened, and it's a discrete thing. But the fact is, is life continues to go on. You know, you... Uh, you have failures and then you sort of recover from them or you have successes and you kind of recover from those too because success can be its own set of problems. Um, and the thing is is that it's really difficult to explain to people who are younger because I've, I've turned 50, um, but it's really hard to explain to people. It's like there are, in fact, second chances. There are, you do just keep going, Yeah. right? You know, there, are, there may be things that you can't come back from. You know, if you are someone who works in securities and you get arrested for fraud and you spend time in Otisville, you know, then you're not coming back to no, that. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. <laughs> but beyond that, you know, if you're having sort of more garden variety failures, then you have a chance to, to come back from them. And nothing is the setback that you think yeah. it is. Nothing is the failure, that, uh, complete failure that you think it is. I have a 20 and a 21 year old and it's been trying to help them understand that message because you know they're young career. Sure. You're come, going into college, going. I expect to know all of this stuff. You're like, no, you're in college for a reason. You're, yeah, yeah. You're, you're gonna learn. You're this gonna stuff. learn. So. Well, and this, and that's you know, because my daughter is 21 as well. So it's one of the things that's very frustrating is you can tell them everything. Absolutely. And, but they and actually we do, right? Yeah, but they actually <laughs> have to live it. Yeah. And 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 the 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 secret to the parental success is there not to go the I told you so. Exactly. But to sympathize with them when they are dealing with the real world and the real world, you know, you know, gives them a smack and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And you're like and you, that part of your brain is like Yes, yes, I knew that was going to happen. I, I told you that. Spoiler alert. I told you that, but I'm not going to say that. Either. Right, exactly. But you do actually have to do the thing where you're like, yes. And because that is how, but that is how you learn. I mean, people can tell you all sorts of things, give you all sorts of advice. But that part of your brain that's like, well, maybe that was right for you. Yeah. But you have to have that experience. And if you don't have that experience, um, then, you, then you won't concretely learn it in the same way. So any kind of closing final advice to people who are listening to this and who might be in that situation where something catastrophic just happened right. and they need something to push right. them forward? The, just that tomorrow is another day. And it really is. You will, I mean, you will have a failure. You will have to sit with the failure. You will have to live with the failure. But the question is, does the, the, does the failure become a roadblock or does the failure become a detour? 
right? And if it's a roadblock and that's where you stop and that's where you stay, then there's nothing you can do with that. Mm -hmm. But if it's a detour and you find your way around it and you route around it and you get back to, maybe you get back to where you thought you were going. Maybe you go someplace completely different. But the point of it is that if you do that, if you route around it, you will find life goes on, opportunities present themselves Mm -hmm. and where you may end up may not have been where you originally planned to go, but it might be the place that you need to be. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your failure story with us. I really appreciate it. Sure. Glad to do it. Enjoy the rest of the con. Thank you. In the stories of our lives, plot twists happen. John's story helps us see that sometimes events that feel like a catastrophic failure at the time can really be the device that sets us on a new path. If we see the failure as an opportunity to reflect, reassess, and reinvent, we can use it as the start of a new story and not the ending. And who knows where that story might take us? Thanks again to John Scalzi for taking time out of a busy C2E2 schedule to chat with me. Be sure to look for his new book, The Last Emperor, book number three of the Interdependency series, scheduled to be released on April 14th. And... Thank you for listening to Failure Bites. I'm Kristen Brennison. Find more episodes on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to subscribe for the latest story. And don't forget to let us know what you think by leaving a review. This podcast was produced by NIU STEAM at Northern Illinois University. Your future, our focus.